Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to urge in the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to urge in the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Following On podcast. I'm John Norman, uh, delighted to be able to continue to bring you archived editions of the cricket-related, quite brilliant, My Sporting Life series. Uh, in this episode, Talk Sports' Danny Kelly sitting down with a former England uh, batsman, coach, umpire, top commentator uh, and part of the Talk Sport commentary team, actually, David Bumble Lloyd, to discuss his remarkable career. We'll be re-releasing old editions of My Sporting Life every Friday here on Following On, uh, ahead of the World T20 and then after it, with some huge names uh, like uh, Curtly Ambrose, Clive Lloyd, Richard Hadley, and uh, and also Matthew Hayden, Andrew Strauss as well. They're all to come, so keep an eye out for those in the coming weeks. But for now, we bring you My Sporting Life with the great David Lloyd here on Following On. My Sporting Life on Talk Sport. Over the course of the next two hours, we'll hear about his many years playing for and captaining Lancashire. When I did become captain of the club, it was on the say-so Jack Bond that he thought that I should be the one who um, who, who leads the team uh, for a few years, and it was terrific. Ups and downs, as it always is. Very political, as it always is, but thoroughly enjoyable. Hitting a double test century against India. They never got me out. It was the flattest pitch you've ever seen. It didn't spin or nothing, and they'd no quick bowlers. Fruit were behind the stumps. He, you know, my mate, stumping for the oppo. Yeah. And, and he kept telling me, he said, keep going, keep going. <laughs> You'll get plenty here. He said, you'll beat Don Bradman's record and, and beat Len Hutton's record. And coaching England to test match success. I had a fantastic group of lads. Absolutely brilliant. Not an ounce of trouble with any of them. You get a flashpoint, of course you do. Um, in any walk of life, in, in any team, but... I'd do it all again, absolutely, with spades. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, my sporting life on Talk Sport. Yeah, David Bumble Lloyd, born the 18th of March 1947 in Accrington, Lancashire, England. And David is one of the most popular cricket personalities of modern times, having excelled in county cricket with Lancashire while representing England as both a player and a coach. He initially made his name in first-class cricket as an excellent all-rounder with Lancashire, captaining his county from 1973 to 1977 and winning four Gillette Cups during almost two decades playing at Old Trafford. At international level, he won nine test caps, hitting a memorable 214 against India in 1974 and recording a batting average of over 42 at test level, while he also made eight one-day international appearances for his country. After retiring from playing, he became an umpire in first-class cricket before moving into coaching, leading Lancashire to the Benson and Hedges Cup in 1995. 
The following year, he was appointed England coach, a role he remained in for three years, during which time the national team recorded Test Series victories against India, New Zealand and South Africa, before becoming a leading commentator on the game, a role he still enjoys to this day with Sky Sports. On TalkSport this evening, I'm joined on My Sporting Life by one of the great names from Lancashire and English cricket, David Bumbleloyd. Welcome aboard, David. Welcome to My Sporting Life. Um, just to establish that you're a living person actually here, you grew up in post-war Lancashire. You couldn't be any more Lancashire if you tried if you are from Accrington, it seems to me. Tell us about growing up. Well, Accrington was a mill town. Uh, my mother had, uh, I think it was six looms, and that meant she was in charge of six looms in a weaving shed. Do you know what the factory was called? Uh, oh, crikey, no. No, there were that many. There were so worked. many, I imagine, uh, yeah. There was Queen's Mill. I remember that, Queen's Mill. Um, my dad worked in a foundry, and that was a dirty, horrible job. And he finished up working as a theatre technician. So grow- I'm the only child, so growing up, my dad's a theatre technician. I thought for years that he worked in the cinema. Yeah, with Red Dead's Dawson. And, and, uh, no, and he, he was in the operating theatre. That's what he did. He made sure everything was sterile and so on, and cleaned up after and he used to bring... I, I should, I, well, it don't matter now. He's been dead for a long time. He used to bring home uh, appendixes in, in vinegar and all sorts and put them in his shed. Things that had been taken out during the day. Oh, my God. Ligaments and all sorts of things. <laughs> Why? Was it for study? Uh, no, I think he used to, used to like them in the shed. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you say the, the, just the words mills and foundries... Um, I don't want to get into a stereotype here. Are we talking about sort of a low- a, growing up in a Lowry painting or something? You got it, exactly. I've done a thing recently back in Accrington, and you go back to where I lived, uh, Water Street, Accrington, and I remember the knocker-upper. There's a fellow that walked down the street with a pole and he used to bang the windows. To get people up for the, for the mills for the and the mills factories. And then there'd be this procession of people going down to work in... Uh, engineering into mills, foundries, as I've said, for my dad. And then you'd see them, again, coming back at night time. Same thing with football. Live very close to Accrington Stanley's old ground, Peel Park. I went to school at Peel Park County Primary School, which is right next door. And so you'd see this procession of people going up and back on match days. And the players. Players would go past your front door with their boots under their arm. They were fantastic times. And what, and, and a happy a happy childhood? Uh, tough. You know, hellish tough. Um, you'll have all sorts of people who come in and, and yeah. do this programme and you reminisce about where you've grown up. And I, I think back to, and I'll, I'll skirt on, right on, uh, to when I got in a bit of bother in Zimbabwe. Yes, which we'll coach. come back to, no doubt, yeah. Um, and I, in in my life, I've never, you don't take a backward step, you can't from where I was growing up. And we always reasoned that if anybody kicked you once, you kicked them back twice just to get a bit of interest. And when I saw things, were, in my opinion, were going wrong in Zimbabwe towards my team, I hit back. And it didn't suit a lot of people. No, but that, but that, but that's um, and we'll talk about your time as England yeah. manager, where you were combative, and, and you know, I wouldn't say controversial, but outspoken certainly. And you, you, you relate that back to your childhood in the, in the, in that in in tough not, mill town. I've not known anything different, and I wanted when I went into that job, and and we will we'll talk about that in yeah in detail. That I didn't want to be Englishness after you, Claude. Yeah. You know, we're going to get right in here. We're going to give it our best shot. 
and we're going to take it right to the limits as well. And I, th I thought that I got a really good response from the lads. And you're craving results, and sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back, but you're having a good time along the way, and get right into them. What about your love of sport, David? Um, you, you, you're a pretty good footballer and a very quickly a pretty good cricketer. I mean, uh, Accrington has, of course, as you say, a football club, but also a very good cricket, uh, a cricket club as well. Yeah, uh, football's my first love. Football's my sport. Cricket's my business. I'm a fanatic on football. I love it. I uh, watch Premier League on telly. I tend not to go to matches. I go and watch Accrington Stanley when I can um, because that's my team. And I don't like all these fancy dams who can jump on to, oh, I support Arsenal, I support Chelsea, don't live anywhere near. Manchester's notorious for it. I support Manchester United. Come and watch us, Accrington Stanley. Come with us. I'm born in Accrington. That's my team. And you're uh, just as, it's a family thing too, because I think uh, Mrs. Lloyd is a supporter of another club in the same sort of level, York City. Same division, York City. So she goes and stands behind the goals, and I go in the director's box. Mm. A pensioner, I can sit where I want. Uh, but the cricket club in Accrington, again, was the place to go. You know, we didn't play um, school cricket, really, with no fields. Uh, so the outlet for your sport was the cricket club. And, and you're dead right. You look around as a kid, I'm the only one. You look around, and I know the background that I came from, and you go to Lancashire schools trials, and you start seeing, I'm better than these. I'm better than these. I'm doing fine. And so it moves on and you've got a driving ambition. And to get from Accrington to Manchester in 1964 is some effort. There's a number of buses that you've got to get on with your bag and you throw it under that well that you get on a double-decker yeah, bus yeah. and it'll still be there when you get off. I don't think it would now. Um, you mentioned that football was your first love but cricket became your business. You, you were a pretty good footballer. And did you actually play for Accrington Stanley? When Stanley went out of the league in 1962, and it was a tragic time, that was all. It was also a travesty, wasn't it, as I, people, as I read about since. You know, yeah. the, um, we're, we were talking about FIFA corruption all the time now, that this yeah. wasn't entirely straightforward. So they fall out of the league. Yeah, we go out of the league and then we're into Lancashire combinations. So there's no conference and Premier Leagues and so on. And so we reformed in the Lancashire combination. We still played up at Stanley. And I got into the team. I was very young. I used to get clattered around. What I, position were you playing? I played... Well, I wanted to be Duncan Edwards. Manchester United's left half, England's left half. And so in all money, I, I was a left half. And 1958, the Munich air disasters, Duncan Edwards mm -hmm. passed away. And that was a real tough time. I then moved to left wing and finished up centre forward. And I used to get kicked all over the show. I wasn't big enough. Yeah. Um, I had a left foot and, and the right one, nothing other than just for standing on. And then played local combination. I've got to tell you, I played, when I got to Lancashire, I'm fast forwarded. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm getting in Lancashire's team. Cricket, yeah. And they wouldn't let you play football. And so I played in the local combination under the name of Ramsbottom. Aha! Uh -huh. I played under a different name. <laughs> How ironic now that I see so many of the, foot, the cricket teams training by playing football out on the cricket pitch you know, before they, as, as they warm up. Um, was there ever any danger you were going to be good enough to be a professional player, football? Not really. I didn't have my heart in it. Right. Um, I used to go to Burnley 
uh, Burnley Football Club as a trainee and practiced Tuesdays, Thursdays at their training ground, which was Gawthorpe, and it was state-of-the-art. Jimmy McElroy was the coach there, but I used to skip. I used to, you know, set off and not go on a Tuesday and a Thursday, so I was thinking I'd get him battered around here, I'd get him bashed a bit. Um, and so cricket was always there because I knew that having played Lancashire boys and North of England boys that I'm, I'm good at this, I can do this. I should remind people who are maybe uh, old enough to remember you batting for England that you, when we talk about how you signed now for Lancashire, um, that you were actually uh, a spinner as well. You, you, had, you had both skills going on when you started in the cricket, yeah? Well, I kicked off as a spin bowler. That was it. The batting sort of developed later. And when I got into Lancashire's team, I think I batted about number seven, maybe number eight. Uh, very consistent. Got none in the first inning, mm-hmm. none in the second. Mm-hmm. Get that over with straight away. Um, but progressed to open the batting. Best place to be. Um, spinning then took a back seat. They got a better spinner, a lad called David Hughes, who's a great mate, who went on to do all the spinning. And I would be the bit part spinner. I'd be the lad who, uh, maybe last resort, bit of Jonathan Rossi, I have a go. Did you, um, did, did you, oh, you mean, as you were getting through into playing for Lancashire, you must have had some kind of um, job or apprenticeship on the go because uh, you couldn't be sure you were going to be a professional player, could you? When I left school, and I went to a technical school in Oseltwistle. So um, you're making this up now, aren't you? The, no, I'm not, these, no. these, these, these town names are actually making Oseltwistle, yeah. yeah Oseltwistle or Aussie, <laughs> okay. as it's called up there. Nobody calls it Oseltwistle, no. it's just known as Aussie. And I got myself uh, an apprenticeship with the council as a plumber. Never took it on. I went straight to Lancashire. Uh-huh. But in, in the winter months, in the winter months, what, you know, what are you going to do? Mainly, I loaded beer wagons, which were great for fitness. So six o'clock in the morning. Which brewery uh, was this? Well, it was Dutton's Brewery at the start, and they got took over by Whitbreads, and I would go back. They were terrific with me. There was a guy who was on Lancashire's committee who would give a job to a, a young fellow during the winter, so I loaded wagons early on. I, I mean, just think about that, through the winter. And then I finished up putting tyres on cars, associated tyre specialist, same, in, in a bay. You know, middle of December and January, changing tyres and putting a new wheel on. Kept me as fit as. Could you still, can you still change the tyres in your own car? I'll, I could do my own car, but I wouldn't fancy a wagon. No, OK. <laughs> Talk to me about then, you, you sign up uh, with Lancashire. Um, we're going to hear a lot about Lancashire over the next um, uh, hour or so, because, of course, you go back there and coach as well. So you're, you're a, a very long association, several decades. Um, what did, tell us about cricket in the, uh, in, in the mid-60s when you're making your breakthrough. Tell us about the, the game then. Bar, sink or swim. Um, there were two dressing rooms, the upstairs and the downstairs. So the seniors upstairs, juniors downstairs. Junior dressing room. This is at Old Trafford, yeah. At Old Trafford, it's yeah. known as the dog's home. And you had to go upstairs and knock on the door if you wanted to uh, get into that top dressing room if you were selected. And you went out to bat if you were in the first team from the second eleven dressing room. Uh, it was a terrific place to be, but tough. And just, just to mention one guy who was Lancashire's opener at the time, played for England, wonderful player, Jeff Puller. He would know that this young kid coming through is going to get his job. But he helped all along, he would coach, advise, help, but knowing that he's the senior player, that this guy is gonna he's gonna take over. Jeff eventually moved to Gloucester, 
and played for them and I finished up opening the batting. And so, you know, what I'm saying here is the role of the senior professional who guided young kids through. But, it, it, you know, I make no bones about it. it. It was a tough upbringing. You had to... You, you can't be demure about it at all. And I hear so much now about dressing rooms and banter and so on. You had to be in the thick of that. If you didn't, you were going nowhere. I also chuckle present day about he's not good in the dressing room. I'm not bothered to hoots whether he is or he <laughs> isn't. Is he any good out there when it matters? And the game, um, obviously, you know, we don't, we don't want to get into the into the old men thing of the game was really, but the game was incredibly different. The county game in this country, I mean, I, I think um, for a start, the levels of fitness that we now take as the absolute base. I mean, we were legendary great players. Listen, don't get me wrong, you played with great players. Some of the names here have tears run down my face when I was reading them earlier on. But it was there was also a great social scene. I think you know, I think players drank together and lived together, didn't they, as they moved around the counties? Well, it, it, it was always known as a circuit, the county cricket circuit, and. Whilst you played hard and tough, and I would say that the majority of the players, the majority, not everybody, were naturally fit by cycling and carrying your kit and going on public transport, um, playing other sports. Everybody played other sports, so you were naturally fit. The other thing about that time is uncovered pitches. So when it poured down, you're off. I remember a game at Buxton, so we're playing Derbyshire, we never never bowled a ball and never went to the ground. And we met ourselves members of the local con club, conservative <laughs> club, and played snooker every day. We were absolutely brilliant at snooker at the end of that. We never went to the ground because it poured down for three days. Now, you don't get that now. It's all covered and, and great drainage. And, and we used to play a lot of county matches during the season and play MCC, universities... So you're absolutely knackered and you wanted it to rain sometimes. You, you made your first, um, you, you signed in the mid-60s for Lancashire. It takes a while for you to, to really get going. I suppose 68 is your breakthrough season. You made your first tonne in a game against Cambridge University, in fact. Do you count that as a first-class tonne, David? Not really. It was a means to an end. And I owe that to the then captain, Jack Bond, who's still around, Jack. And he rolls the wickets, the practice pitches at Old Trafford. He was a fantastic captain uh, after Brian Statham. And he was all for younger players. He got all these young guys coming in and he wanted you to succeed. And he got me in and I got my first 100. And then I got a 100, I think, against Gloucestershire in championship cricket. Uh, but that was all. We, we were all under the guidance of this wonderful fella, Jack Bond from Bolton and he batted number eight and he just went in when he needed to but he helped us all along and I'm always fascinated by how boys uh, at school all want everyone wants to bat uh, you know open the batting everyone wants to open the bowling and um, I see lots of times people who are clearly pretty decent bowlers they get into county cricket and then suddenly so people start saying you're a batter now and all the rest of it the modern example of Kevin Peterson, who clearly could spin the ball when he when he when he started out and then virtually gave it up. Now we've got Joe Root, and I'll be very interested to see if Joe is is encouraged to spin to to do a bit of bowling. Some people do medium pace. You you kind of lost the bowling. How did you did you just not did you lose interest in it? How did you stop being a spinner? Uh, because the other guy were better. Because because that's right. Simply that David was it. Hughes yeah. came into yeah. the side and he was a belligerent lower order batsman. 
And now, interestingly, he made himself into a number four. He got a thousand runs a season and so on. Um, but David Hughes and Jack Simmons were the main spinners. And then I would come on as a supplementary spinner. Batting was developing all the time. And so it, it just tends to take a back seat, but primarily because, you know, we had a, a good attack. And if you're looking at the Lancashire team, lads like Ken Shuttleworth and Peter Lever and Peter Lee, Barry Ward at the top of the innings, with plenty of bowlers. Uh, David, by 69-70, um, English cricket is changing in a particular way. The Gillette Cup, the one-day tournament, has been introduced for a few years. And then we get the Sunday League as well, the John Player as it was initially. Yeah. And the Lancashire team that you play in becomes legendary. Over the next four or five years, six years, they, they reach the Gillette Cup final over and over again. They win the one. The one. How did they become so brilliant at one-day cricket? I, I think being from the north and there's so many northern leagues, it gave us a head start that we were all playing uh, competitive one-day cricket. You're used to the 40 and 50 We, we were used format. to that game, yeah. yeah. And, and so uh, right place, right time, the, the old guard had left... Uh, Lancashire, Jack Bond had taken over and everything was with these younger players and we were like a juggernaut of a team the ground was packed I can recall all sorts of things I can tell you that the membership of the club was closed 15,000 plus members and you had to have a proposer and a seconder and balloted to get in, it was closed that membership uh, there were no advertising boards around the ground so 5,000 would sit on the grass we would regularly get 20,000 people watching. It was a real buzz when you go out and play as local lads in front of that many and all your mates are there and everybody used to turn up to play against us and get a good idea. That's what it was all about. And you're right to mention the local lads who'd grown up in the Lancashire Leagues like yeah. yourself and come through, but you also had two remarkable overseas players Fabulous. that they'll be called now. Um, legends in their own way. Yeah. The wicketkeeper batsman Farouk Engineer and of course, the uh, the man who uh, flayed England's batting uh, bowling for many many years, Clive Lloyd. Well, when you've got a nucleus of Lancastrians in a dressing room, and you get two lads who come in, they've got to fit in. Number one, they have to fit in. If I can tell you now that they both reside in the area still, they're still up there. Are they yeah. they were out and out through and through Lancastrians, Clive Lloyd and Farouk Engineer. They got it. In the dressing room, this is who we are. This is the Red Rose. This is what we do. And they got it immediately. They were fantastic players, as you know, as everybody mm. knows. Farouk, so eccentric. He can hit every ball for six. The power of Clive. It was the first time. I'm a pro, I'm a pro at that time. And when Clive joined us, it's the first time that I thought, crikey, this bloke hits it hard. And you see the size of him, and he was so slim and athletic. Farouk, exactly the same. He was an Indian wicketkeeper who was great on the pull shot. And then, of course, in county cricket came Gary Sobers, another who hit it unbelievably hard. Best cricketer I've ever seen, by the way. But that Lancashire team evolved under Jack Bond, and we had something. And that John Player League, it was, I think the first... Can you remember? I reckon it was called, right at the beginning, the Player League. And I've been a non-smoker. I've never smoked in my life. I thought, what is that? The Player League. It must be our league, the players. Ah, 
and then it became the John Player League, which was a packet of fags, apparently. And of course, what the, the the one of the reasons why for its great popularity, quite apart from it was a new kind of cricket. Um, it comes uh, at the, about the time when colour television is coming in, and it's also short enough on that Sunday for for the television to show it. And so suddenly, non-international cricket is on terrestrial television, and people like yourself and that team become household names. Yeah, and to full houses yeah. everywhere you play to full houses. Yeah, and. I think that it was terrific to play in. I have to tell you about this John Player League. Yeah. That that company gave a full packet, so that's 200, 10 20s, yeah. to, to the team every match. Well, there's 11 in a team. We never had any team meeting about the opposition. <coughs> How good are they? Are we going to ball at this guy? We've got to get him out and da-da-da. We had that many team meetings about who got the fags. Because if you're a non-smoker, you were told you can't have any. Well, hang on, my dad smokes. Yeah. And then there's there's only 10 packets and there's 11 of you in the team. <laughs> so that was an absolute hoot uh, to decide who got the fags. Um, but I've never smoked and I, I never took any. I didn't have any. Of, of the, uh, you know, I say, the, the team reaches um, six, I think, of seven Gillette finals in succession. Yeah. You also yeah. win a number of Sunday leagues. Which are the what are your great what are your best memories of of those victorious years for Lancashire? Well, I think the whole team. I probably speak for every lad that to get to the final was the be all and end all. It was the Gillette Cup, and it was sixty overs. And, and as a club, we we didn't win the championship, and we got the players to do it. But the club itself under. A dynamic chairman, a fellow called Cedric Rhodes was a chairman, who incidentally in 1970 said that this game, cricket, will evolve into cities. City versus city. He's talking franchise. And he's virtually talking about the IPL, isn't he? That's it? exactly uh, it. Yeah. So the memorable thing about getting to that final was staying at the hotel down on Edgware Road, and it was called the Clarendon Court, it's not there now, walking walk to the ground and through the grace gates. That's it. You walk in to Lords with your Lancashire blazer on. We're here for business. I'm sure you were on the pitch. So remind me which of the... I, mean, I should have got sheaves, sheaves of notes here, but remind me which of those finals ended in, in almost darkness. A uh, very famous game. No, that was the semi. Oh, semi That was the semi-final at Old Trafford against Gloucestershire. Right. And I think it finished at about 10 to 9 or 5 to 9, where David Hughes hit John Mortimer, I think, for 24 to 26 in the over. And Mike Proctor's looming. He's ready to go. He's ready to rock and come steaming in, fast bowling, unbelievably fast. And we finished, the, David Hughes finished the game in the dark. Uh, it's a great line I mean everybody yeah. tells it it was Arthur Jepson the umpire and you could appeal against the light Jack Bond appealed against the light Arthur Jepson said what's that up there and he says it's the moon he said well how much further do you want to see and we carried on <laughs> um, let me ask you a question about that team as we were generalising about it with you, you, you can probably tell me you know you were talking about, about Hughes and yourself and Clive Lloyd and, uh, and Farouk um, if I, when I said at the start of this section that I thought they were probably as good a one-day team, because the, the statistics and the trophies are all there to prove it, can you think of anybody else over the years who, who might have even been in the same sort of league as that Lancashire team? Well, our rivals were Kent at that time. At that yeah. time. Yeah. And again, they had some fantastic players. Lookers, Daenerys, Alan Knott, uh, John Shepard, Norman Graham, Derek, Derek Underwood. Derek Underwood yeah. You know, the, the list goes on. So 
they were up with us, but just watching other teams now, I think there are some wonderful teams in, in one-day cricket, but it's not as regulated, or re- not regulated, not regimented as it was then. Sunday was Sunday League. Yeah. There's the Gillette Cup knockout. And yeah. now it's all, in my opinion, right now, and it's only my opinion, yeah. it's all a bit bitty. You don't really know where you are. And there were times in, in, in recent years where the one-day competition was so complicated that you actually needed some kind of slide rule to yeah. work out who was going through. And that hasn't really helped. I understand why they do it for commercial reasons, but it hasn't really helped. In the background to all of this, of course, you're piling up 1,000 runs, 1,500 runs every year for Lancashire for about, for, I think, about six years running here. Were you starting to think about um, I should be a candidate for the England team? Yeah, you're looking who's in the England team and you know some wonderful players, Geoffrey Boycott, John Edrich at the top of the innings. And so I had to be absolutely on top form. I know how good I was. And if I was on top form, I had a chance of playing for England if an opportunity arose. Geoffrey dropped out of the team. He got a thumb injury against India. I'm the one that's got a few hundreds. And you've got competition, so you get in the team. Right place, right time. Jeffrey didn't recover, and I went along and played my second game. Well, let, let's let, let, let's hang on for one second. I'll all come right. on to your England career because I'm very, I've got it all sort of sorted out here. I should make one other point that uh, at the end of um, '72, um, you become captain of Lancashire, so you're the captain of this team that's doing so well as well. Um, although I noticed here a story that um, didn't get off to the greatest start as captain. Did they, why were you in Germany? Um, in the close season of 72-73. Why were you in Germany? That's a jolly. Nothing yeah. more than a jolly. We uh, all went on a jolly at the end of the season. I've got the word Munchengladbach written down yeah. here in front and, of me. And I've got to tell you, Danny, it's all a bit of a blur. Ah. Yeah. Um, and Jack Bond had took us there and he, he, he didn't play and he made me captain. And when I did become captain of the club, it was on the say-so Jack Bond that he thought that I should be the one who... Um, who leads the team uh, for a few years, and it was terrific. Ups and downs, as it always is. Very political, as it always is, but thoroughly enjoyable. Eventually, in uh, 73, you play a one-day international. Eventually, you get into the England team. I mean, I think for the younger people listening, we ought to, and of course you've gone to being the manager yourself, um, it's that the world is so different now. Now, players are identified in their teens, um, brought through the system of the under-17s and they go on the A tours and the, the Lions tours, whatever they're called. Um, and people are earmarked as England players from, from, from school. Now, sorry, back in your day, you had to go into the, the, the county championship and you had to prove that you were going to be an England player. Um, so when you, can, what do you remember about your own getting to be called up? Well, it, it was drilled into you from county and from selectors who were around the country and looking at talent. Hundreds. If you're a batter, well, it, it's hundreds that pay the rent. And so you, it was always drummed into you. And if that opportunity arose where, as an opening batter, say, that that's your slot, that you're an opener, that, that's it. And so you're waiting for an opportunity, but you've got to be scoring runs as well. So when Jeffrey Boycott got out the team, he got a, a bruised thumb or a broken thumb, the opportunities for an opener... I'm the one with some runs under my belt. I get a gig. How did you find out? 
Uh, you get you get a telegram. Can you remember those uh, yes, telegrams? Yeah. Um, inviting you to play, inviting you to play for England, and you had to ring up and reply that yeah, thanks a lot. I'll be there. Did you have an idea that, that you might be the next one? Or, uh, nowadays, they get they get called the next taxi off the rank, don't they? Yeah. Did you know you were the next taxi off the rank? Um, no, but I was confident enough that I was playing well enough. And the first game was perfect. It was at Lords Against India? Against India. Uh, got an excellent partner in Dennis Amis. We got some wonderful players. First of all, let, 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 let me come back to, to the... The test was at the, your first test match was at Lords. Now you presume you had played at Lords uh, with mm. Lancashire. What was the difference then of going there as an England player? Well, you just have that sense of achievement that I've arrived and this is what I wanted to do at the start. Want to play for England or um, you know all the lads who want to play for India, Pakistan, and so on. And so I've achieved what I set out to do. Confidence, I could tell you that confidence is high. You want to get out there, I want to go and play, I want to show you what I can do. I got a few, about 46, I think. Who else was in the team with you? Can you remember? Yeah, I could almost tell you the go team. Go on then. Um, myself, you opened with? Dennis Amis, uh, Keith Fletcher, Mike Dennis, John Edricks, Tony Gregg, Alan Knott, Derek Underwood, Jeff Arnold, uh, Chris Hall, probably maybe Mike Hendrick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the, 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 absolutely, the, the batting lineup. Um, they could all pretty much count themselves uh, legends of the game. Mike Dennis, maybe, well, of course, there's England captain a, a long while as well. Um, England got 629 in their first inning, so well done, David. Yeah, well, I got 46 of them, yeah. uh, which they could have done without. Uh, but I could tell you one at lunchtime, you know. Yeah. Uh, you go to Nancy's legendary lunch at Lord's. Everybody talked about Nancy. And you had a three course meal. And there were bottles of beer on the... You can have a, bo- a bottle of... I think it were... There were Watney's brown ale, a double diamond, mm-hmm. and some pale ale. Anyway, I had a lager. Uh, and I were out shortly after. <laughs> I were caught at short leg. I don't think I added too many uh, to my uh, pre-lunch score. I got 46. Yeah. So, but the, the important thing is I got asked to play again. I got the next game. Yes. I, if, if Jeffrey had been right, I wouldn't have played. No. There's no doubt about that. I mean, we should, again, make the point, um, without labouring it for, for younger folk, that um, right up to really, up to your time as England manager, where I think things start to change, the England team nowadays, it's almost impossible to get out of the England team. You know, people have got to have 15 games to prove themselves and all the rest of it. But people came and went in extraordinary numbers. I'm not exaggerating. I can remember in the 70s, England would make six changes from test match to test match at home. Well, the, the difference was, Danny, that you were primarily a county player. And the icing on the cake was to be picked uh, to represent for your country. the England team. Yeah. But now it yeah. is Team England, team England who you England play now, for. Absolutely. Yeah. The, these boys now are international England players, so they have Team England at that time. And even when I was England coach, that you, you would look at C-Facts... Yeah, 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 and see how how's how we doing? How's Lancashire doing? How's Yorkshire doing? Uh, yeah, you're playing for England at the time, but how's the county doing? And so the thrust was county cricket. The icing, in, in, as far as I could see, was playing for England. So Jeff Boycott doesn't recover. Mm-hmm. You play in the third test against India, Edgbaston. You might as well tell us what you did there. Well, I got 214 not out. Mike Dennis is captain, and if he hadn't declared, I'd still be in now. 
Yeah, just carry on batting, I'd would you? I'd still be in, I'd be millions. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when he declared. We'd only got about 420. Did he declare when he got his ton? I, I, well, I don't know, but he was a lovely chap. He was a he super did, well, bloke, man. Oh, no, but, sorry, no, no, he didn't. You were in a 100 partnership with him. Yeah. He declared with you on 214 not yeah, out. Yeah. Um, and you believe you would now be over four million runs to the I good? They never got me out. It was the flattest pitch you've ever seen. It didn't spin to nothing, and there'd no quick bowlers. Fruit were behind the stumps. He, you know, my mate stumping for the oppo. Yeah, and, and he kept telling me, he said, "Keep going, keep going. <laughs> you'll get plenty here. You'll be, you'll be." He said, "You'll beat Don Bradman's record and, and beat Len Hutton's record." I mean, you got seventeen. Um... In, an, in another innings, but it means that at the end of your first series as an England player, your average is 260. Yeah. <laughs> Easy game. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose the important thing about that, um, I, I guess, is that, as we'll hear, it means that you stay in the England team for a tour of Australia, yeah? Yeah, and yeah. I've never been out of England. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Had you been on an aeroplane before? No. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. No. Okay, listen, thank you very, very much indeed. Still to come in tonight's edition of My Sporting Life, we'll be discussing David's burgeoning England career as he heads down under to Australia as part of the touring Ashes side of 1974-75, as well as the rest of his career at County Level at Lancashire, his move into the coaching side of the game, and of course, into the commentary box where he is these days a broadcast legend. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM, my sporting life on Talk Sport. I'm Danny Kelly. Welcome to part two of My Sporting Life with David Lloyd here on Talk Sport. And David is one of the most popular cricket personalities of modern times, having excelled in county cricket at Lancashire while representing England as both a player and later as coach. 
He initially made his name in first-class cricket as an excellent all-rounder with Lancashire, captaining his county from 1973 to 77 and winning no less than four Gillette Cups during almost two decades playing at Old Trafford. At his national level, he won nine test caps, hitting a memorable 214 against India in 1974 and recording a batting average of over 42 at test level, while he also made eight one-day appearances for his country. After retiring from playing, he became an umpire in first-class cricket before moving into coaching, leading Lancashire to the Benson and Hedges Cup in 1995. Following year, he was appointed England coach, a role that he remained in for three years, and during that time the national team recorded test series victories over India, New Zealand and South Africa, before becoming a leading commentator on the game, a role he still enjoys to this day with Sky Sports. On TalkSport this evening, I'm joined on my sporting life by one of the great names from Lancashire and English cricket, David Bumble Lloyd. David, we um, we picked up uh, your England career, having uh, established yourself against India with that fantastic 214 not out. Let's not forget he declared <laughs> from under you there um, and ended the series with, as uh, I say, a slightly artificial test average that uh, even Bradman himself might have been uh, en- envious of. Um, and then you played um, you played in test matches then against Pakistan. There was a kind of double series that year. Yeah, how did you get on there? Uh, it was a difficult series. That I, I think there was a lot of rain around and. Uh, matches were interrupted. And I know it, we played at Lords, and Pakistan weren't happy that uh, I think the rain had got under the covers, and Derek Underwood did his business and just came on and whacked it all over the place. Um, bits look coming out of the pitch, and plenty of catches around the bat. So they weren't happy with that. They thought that we'd played around with the pitch, which we hadn't. The water had just got underneath, and it got a bit political. Did that, so it became a, you know quite a difficult series. Um, you mentioned Derek Underwood there again for the teenage listeners. Um, wh- why I've never seen a bowler like him. No. Will we ever see another bowler? I mean, I'm trying to explain explain what he did here. He bowled spin at medium pace. Is that a fair assessment of what he's trying to do? If you fast forward it to somebody like Malinga, Lassif Malinda mm-hmm. from Malinga from Sri Lanka, and that's unorthodox. It's different. He's got a slingy action. Derek Underwood ran a long way. For a spin bowler, yeah. And a bold spinners with a, a, a ridiculous grip. He didn't hold it in two fingers. He he sort of had it right in the middle of his hand. And I'd say he bowled cutters, fast cutters. And if you're on uncovered pitches, and he was that good that he could adapt uh, to pitches that were dry, and he was on his day, on his pitch, in his circumstances, absolutely unplayable. And he had this wonderful ally in Alan Knott, who's probably one of the greatest wicket keepers that we've ever seen. And they were a formidable combination. And if you got if you got Underwood on a pitch that suited him, you're a goner. You also um, got a, a, a one-day international hundred against Pakistan. I, I did. Uh, you know, I can remember that hundred and sixteen not out, and mm-hmm. we thought we were out of sight. Tony Gregg was in the team, and he, you know, what Greggy was like he was so bullish that they'll not get anywhere near this. I think they knocked him off with nine overs to spare. It was at Trent Bridge. It might have been Zaire Abbas. What a wonderful player mm-hmm. he was. He just kept lamping it into the crowd. And I think we finished eight or nine overs early, thinking that we were miles away, we're out of sight. They didn't get anywhere near this. I batted all the way through for 116, so it must have been a shocking knock. Well, the, uh, the it, it's confirming your place in the England team, and we'll talk about the, what that means when you go abroad 
the first time, as you pointed out, for the Ashes in 74-75. But I just want to remind you a little bit as well that uh, of a, ca- a championship game in between those one-day internationals and the test team being announced. You must have had a good day with the ball. You took four wickets. Do you remember this? Four wickets in a championship match against Notts, including one Garfield Sobers. Well, there must have been some racing on that he wanted to go and watch. <laughs> I got Gary. Did I yeah, get yes, Gary Sobers? I've got it here in front of me. Uh, in championship game, uh, you took four, uh, four, four, and you bowled. You bowled, don't mind. Bowled Gary Sobers. Well, there must have been a race on yeah. because we would say to Gary, the greatest player I've ever seen. Yeah, of course. Uh, tactically, we thought that was the only way we could get him out. Tell him there's a great race coming on the telly. He was bad for the racing, was he? Yeah, oh, I love the race. Like your Sky colleague, um, I think Michael Holding pretty yeah. much likes racing more than yeah. he likes cricket, doesn't um, he? And me. And you, is that oh, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah. So at the end of, of the 74 season comes the news, I suppose, that you... Because even though the West Indies, you could argue, were probably you know becoming the dominant force in world cricket, it weren't quite in the early 70s. The tour, I guess, that all young Englishmen want to go on is the tour to Australia. Yeah, a dream come true that I'd not been out of England and you know to be selected on that tour... You know, that is a journey. It is a wonderful experience. We got beat 4-1. They were much better than we were. Portant attack. Thompson and Lily, Max Walker behind them, Ashley Mallet, the Chapels, Rodney Marsh. Yeah, great team. They, they were a fantastic team. And, and it's worth saying now, we talk about sledging. The, these guys were tough. They played it hard. Never once did they step over the line. And you'd get, I, I used to call it banter. I knew these guys, one or two of them from league cricket in Lancashire. Uh, and you give as good as you get. But we all would have a beer at the end of the day's play. We'd go into their room or they'd come into ours. They've hit us hard. Eight ball overs. And we were found wanting. We weren't good enough. We got beat 4 1. You're trying hard. And just interestingly, you're dead right that the West Indies were just emerging then. Yeah. They followed us and got beat five. Did us, is that right? So, so they were a, a thrilling team under Chapel, who's become a really good friend, Ian Chapel. Uh, and, you know, they, they were a better team than we were. And, David, of course, you know, as a former Test batsman, I understand, you know, you need players one to six to be great, but it is a fact, isn't it, that in recent years... The dominant force in Test cricket, as it's moved from uh, Australia to the West Indies, back to Australia, is you've got to have great bowlers, and you've got to be able to attack the opposition either with spin or with with pace or with a consistent combination of something. Otherwise, you can't win Test matches. And you mentioned there that Australian attack. Um, I mean, that was the tour, wasn't it, where where the England players were being hurt. Uh, we, we ended up with Colin Cowdery coming out there at 40 years of age. Well, there was no... He didn't have helmets and protective clothing, so Colin Cowdery came out as a replacement 41 player. 41 years he of age. He was 41 years of age. Uh, because there were broken fingers. There were guys getting wrapped on the fingers and a broken thumb, broken finger, you know, there were, that sort of thing. I got it... In the nether regions. Well, tell us about I mean, we'll come on to that because uh, Jeff Thompson used to bowl. He wasn't a 100-mile-an-hour bowler. He was only a 95-mile-an-hour bowler. And um, he hit you in what, what euphemistically gets called the box. Mm. Where was that? No, sorry, I know where it was physically yeah. on you, but geographically. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I thought you were being really specific there. No, no, where I, I, was I, yeah. we, we, We've got a rough idea where no, I don't need a drawing. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was at Perth. It was a quick pitch. It always um, a quick pitch at Perth, and, yeah. You know, you... 
you've got a split second to get in the right position. I've, I've got myself in a bit of a tangle. Mm-hmm. Um, the ball bounced a bit, nipped back a bit. Um, sometimes you can get hit and it'll just drift down to third man and fine leg and you get a leg by. And this hit me full on and, and dropped right at my feet. So, you know, it's hit me and I'm in trouble. I've got I've got one or two problems. Yeah. Um, and it takes you a little bit of time to come round. Everybody laughs, don't they? They all Why, have a, All of us. And I'm everybody. sure you laugh when you see it happening today. It's, yeah. it's a male reaction because yeah. yeah. I think it, is, it isn't me, so it must be funny. Well, there's a great YouTube clip about it, and I go down in instalments. You know, he's <laughs> hit me, and it's like slow motion, but it's not. And I eventually I'm on all fours and... Um, I'm Much sympathy off. from the Australians? Uh, usual stuff. Um, I don't know whether we can repeat what's said out in the middle, but uh, all sorts of signals about one short. Um, <laughs> and, uh, don't, don't rub them, count them. All that sort of stuff, which is all great fun. Yeah. And you get it every time. It, it's one of those things in sport uh, that in a broadcasting terms, everybody knows what's happened and there's a bit of tea heeing and there's nothing really said. The, you're right to say that you know England got the, what they often used to get those days in Australia, um, a good hammering, but they won one test. Uh, yeah. um, and uh, you you were turned home, but you, you were beyond, um, uh, as you say, the attack on the nether regions. You were eventually were injured and were turned. You're one of a succession of people who came home. I, I didn't go to New Zealand, and I, I'd sustained a neck injury, fielding at short leg. I, I, you, you can sort of picture this. Bob Willis bowled a bouncer at a lad called Alan Turner. So it's New South Wales, it's Sydney. And I'm at short leg. And again, there's no, we don't have any protective clothing. And I'm taking evasive action and I've moved quickly. And it, it jarred my neck and a disc bulged out of place. So I had a, you know, what everybody knows now as a bulged disc. And so it restricted movement and it... It bothered me for the rest of my career did that. It was uncomfortable for the rest of my career. So having played nine tests and made a 240 not out in one of them, you got 44 in Melbourne, then you struggled, as all the England batsmen struggled in that Australian series. Could you have known that that was going to be the end of your test career, David? Uh, Well, I did, yeah. Um, How come? I didn't... I I just... At that time, I would know I wasn't good enough. And to go back to what I said previously, mm-hmm. if you're absolutely on top of your game, a player like me, if you're on top of your game and there's an opportunity that somebody gets injured, if you're at right place, right time, you'll get in. Since after that, I was never good enough uh, to get back into England's team. The silly sods picked me again in a one-day game in 1980 when my eyes had gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was wearing that glasses. That was cruel, wasn't it? That was shocking. I should <laughs> never have got picked, but you can't say no. When you get your invite, you've been selected. You can't say, uh, no, I'd rather not, thanks, I can't see. <laughs> Round this up for me. Do you look back on your nine England tests as a brilliant, uh, brilliant experience that you wouldn't swap for the world or do you feel frustrated that you didn't play more for England? No, I was delighted to have played. I'm old enough and wise enough now to know that, you know, just at that time, it was my moment. I got a double hundred and a hundred in a one day. I wasn't good enough after that to play. So I fulfilled ambition that when I started off on a cricketing journey that I wanted to play for my country, I managed that. Of course, you like to play more, but there were better players around. Do you have an England cap? I do. Uh, I've also got some nice whiskey, and I've got a baker's rack, a lovely baker's rack, and I've got my whiskies, 
and my England cap is on my best bottle of whiskey. We, we finished with your England career now. Talk to me about, um, I guess, the, the latter, the, the, the part of your career that sees you finishing playing cricket, then going into umpiring, and then ultimately going back to Lancashire as coach. Let's start with the, the, the latter years. I mean, one of the good things about cricket is that you can, until, as you say, until your eyes give up completely or you lose that eye, eye ball coordination, you can play you can play on in cricket, can't you? You can have a good long career. Well, when I finished at, at Lanx and I'd got grumpy, I got a gnarled old pro, and it, it happens very quickly. I can sympathise with Graham Swan that overnight I thought that's enough. I've finished this. I can't do it anymore. I cannot do this anymore. What was the reason you felt you couldn't do it anymore? A frustration that, that you know the, the brain's telling me what I want to do and I couldn't physically do it. I needed glasses, and I'd, I'd always been conscious that. You know, a cricketer with glasses, you don't see very many. My eyes were not suitable for, um, what's them other? Contact lenses. Contact contact lenses to go in. Um, So there's a general frustration. I'm getting older and the frustration of what am I going to do next? And I I finished very quickly. Um, I worked for a brewery, for Wilson's Brewery, for a little while. That wasn't me, not what I was cut out to do. What I had done when I was playing, take all my coaching badges, right. a lot of them. So I'd done that whilst I was playing. I've got a head start. And to stay in the game, I applied to be an umpire. I became a reserve umpire. Um, incidentally, my eldest boy, Graham, has gone exactly the same way. He's done a period of reserve, and now he's got onto the full list, which is exactly what I did. Is he going to be a test umpire? Well, it's up to him. He's, uh, he's good at it, though, is he's, he? He's, he's a full-time umpire. It's his first season. He's done three years as a reserve. But it's exactly how I did it. Um, and you've got to think about umpiring at that time. You, The umpire ruled the roost. You were the boss. No referrals. None of that. You did, you enjoy, did you enjoy being an I umpire? I absolutely loved it. Being out there in the middle... <laughs> With the players, try get on the same wavelength as the teams, and to be unobtrusive. Just get out the way, let the game that, develop. That's fine, I think, David. When the, when the players are playing in a good spirit, enjoying each other's company, as yeah. you should do when you're playing a game. Yeah. But cricket has a tendency, I think, at all levels, particularly international level, of course, but at all levels, something goes wrong, and you get a bit of mildness comes in. I think with the phrase you might use. How did you deal with that sort of thing? Very, very few. Because you were the boss. You were in charge. Mardiness is a great word. And confrontation, now, that's what you get. Yeah. The umpire gives a decision at any level, at club level, the confrontation. Well, why is that? He ain't going to change. This guy in the white jacket or wherever he is, is not going to change. And so going back to my time, and I want to see it now, want to see it right now, anything on the field that is any sort of problem to the game of cricket, the umpire goes straight to the captain, disregards everybody, and you work to the laws of the game. Captain, you are responsible for this team. Sort it out. It's as simple as that. You say it's as simple as that, but we saw the other day in the one-day international, mm-hmm. the, the so-called mancad, mm-hmm. that some of these things in cricket that mm-hmm. are... The interest of the game, as you put it, the spirit of the game, they're not in the laws, are they? Or are they, David? Can you always fall back on the laws? Because people weren't happy with... I can't remember the name of the player now who uh, who, who ran the Well, Senenayka ran yeah. Butler. Yes. Butler was yeah. out of his ground. And yes. so the great debate is who's in the wrong. 
the law would say that you don't have to give a warning. Gentlemanly, you do give a warning. Sananayaka gave two warnings. He certainly had. He definitely had. Um, but I've also got another theory, which may not be for now, but I'll do it very briefly. Yeah. Let that batsman non-striking and go where he wants, when he wants, where you want. But that gives the fielding side a golden opportunity if the ball is just dinked back to the ball at silly mid on, silly mid off. If he's way down, he's out. You don't take the three or four yards, yeah. You, if you, you know, on a gamble, yeah. you want to gamble, go down there, that's absolutely fine. But within their tactics as a fielding side, they will run you out. Don't worry about that. Did you ever, I mean, I'm not going to ask the question, did you ever make a mistake as an umpire? Because you know you made plenty of them. Did you ever apologise to a player who gave out? Particularly, I'm thinking about LBWs and things. Uh, I never made a mistake. Um, <laughs> well, then, but then, then you're, you're better than Dickie but, Bird, better than uh, Danny, David Constant. Danny, I'm brought up in an era where the umpire is right even when he's wrong. So I've got to give you that answer. OK, well, you work now in an, in an era of uh, tremendous technology, Hawkeye, yeah, predictive flight. Yeah. And all For me, what's very interesting about that is how it's proved how many times the umpires are right rather than how very few times they're wrong. And the number of LBWs that could have been given back in the day when you had you had to be sure, right? Now they're, they're pretty... I mean, for, it's changed the game, hasn't it? People now have been given out with their foot six, seven feet down the pitch. You could never have given those. But now we can tell, yeah, you are out. That is LBW. Well, I'll have to declare, that, uh, Danny, that I sit on ICC's unbiased committee. Right. Uh, that is the selection panel of the elite unbiased. So I'm privy to every game at international level round the world. Brilliant. I get all the information and I can tell everybody uh, that these umpires work on naked eye at 93 to 94% correct decisions throughout the game. The, player, the players wouldn't have... But before we yeah. got technology to test that, the players would not have believed that figure, would no. they? No. Well, everything is monitored uh, by the match referee and a little bit independent. And with DRS, that 93-94% correct decisions improves by 4%. And so when you're using DRS alongside the standing umpire, you've got about 97, 97.5% correct decisions. And so like the BCCI say, but DRS is not foolproof. No, it's not but it's 4% better than the naked eye. OK, well, listen, thank you for that. I wouldn't ask you who you think are the good umpires around today because you've got that uh, gig that you're talking about. Yeah. I like the way Alim Dar doesn't get involved with too much of them. He gives his decision and he wanders Excellent on. umpire. He, he is, uh, I think, the word placid and calm beyond... He, he cannot be riled, can he? And he just, no, come on, chaps, play on the game. Let's get on with it. Um you probably would have been an umpire for the rest of your life, I guess, if um, Lancashire hadn't come back and asked you if you'd like to be the coach. Well, it, I moved out of umpiring to head up junior cricket, quick cricket. And right. So I was, as an umpire, I'm technically working for the ECB. Would you have liked to stood in a test? Oh, I would. Yeah, the ambition would be there to uh, to work that forward. But I, I've taken all my coaching badges. Quick cricket, I, I headed up that. I was also... Attached. This was a, just for those. It was a, 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 a junior cricket initiative. Yeah, to, to, to improve the, the way school kids boys, were learning to get, uh, play the game. Yeah, school children, and so on, uh, to bring it into junior schools and introduce the game to uh, a new, younger person, if you like. Uh, and then, I was a national coach, or 
along, working alongside the national coaches at the amateur level. So it was a natural progression to move back to Lancashire after a good time away, been away a long time. And I took over from a couple of lads, Alan Ormrod and David Hughes. Again, it, it was a good time to go in because your players were developing, Michael Allerton, Neil Fairbrother, John Crawley, Ian Austin, um, and the other one, the king of them all, Lassie Macram. I was going to say, you had, oh, a, you, you, had, you, you had a great opening batsman. I think I'm using that word maybe just slightly south of great. We had a brilliant opening batsman in our, in our friend Michael Atherton. Yeah. You had a very good team of young English players around them. And then Wazzy Macram came with it. That must have helped. Akram was sensational. And in the dressing room, the, the, his nickname was King. They just called <laughs> him the King. And again, we talked earlier about Clive Lloyd and Farouk Engineer. Akram got it. He was part of that Lancashire team. Still has a house up there. And you, uh, you were successful. You won, uh, you won a trophy. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, we won a, a one-day trophy. Uh, we might have won a couple. We should have won the championship, but um, we, never, we never did. I don't know why we didn't. We should have tried harder. Uh, but the well, that team... was kind of a thing with Lancashire, wasn't it? it yeah. Well, Yorkshire, and I hate to use the word yeah. in front of you, can all seem to find ways to put winning teams together in the championship. Lancashire went, well, was, was it, how many years did they go between, between winning championships? Oh, it was 74 it years. Was, until they won and it And then Glenn Chapel's team won it just they, a couple they, of years ago and they promptly got relegated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was normal a, service then, yeah. That was a great time uh, for the club to win that championship. But yeah, in the 90s, we had a, an excellent team uh, that went... Uh, this is, we played a final played a final at, at Lords, and all the talk was Aravinda da Silva he got a great 100 he did and I've gone into the media and after we've won we've won the game played brilliantly of course it was all the questions were oh Aravinda da Silva what a wonderful inning and I've got my stats and I said yeah he played really well I said and when he came into bat they wanted 4.5 and over and when he left he wanted 6.5 we've done okay thanks so I've been a bit naughty, no, but no. I wanted them to say, your team, our team, Lancashire, this team, Mike Watkinson, they've won the, won the trophy. You're becoming a coach, and we could talk very much, and we will talk about the series that you won, the series that you lost, but I think you're also very much part of something else that happened. England was a kind of shambolic, no disrespect to anybody, shambolic, um, living from hand to mouth, reactive uh, team for many, many years, and... Uh, Duncan Fletcher and Nasser Hussein, who's very keen to give himself the credit for it, I have to say. Um, they changed a much more professional outlet for it. And in the middle was you. And I think you have missed out on the credit you should get for starting the processes that led 20 years down the line to England being the number one test team in the world. I think a number of coaches prior to that uh, were working along the lines, but the money wasn't there. The finance, why is it about money, David? Um, the the money that, that came into the game... You followed Ray Illingworth, for instance, did you? I think you followed Ray, did you? Um, well, Ray was a supremo, if you, if you can yes. remember. He was um, sort of managing director. Yeah. He was ah. coach and, and head selector, yes. so he was doing everything. Yes. And he moved aside, and he was great to work with. I, I enjoyed mm. working with Raymond. He's very blunt. Um, and yeah. so I understood that side of things. A very good tactician and knew the game. But... You know, going back to Mickey Stewart, Keith Fletcher, yeah, these were guys who wanted to enhance the England cricket team, 
but there's this county structure and no real finance to move the game forward in England. Whereas the teams that you were playing, you play against Pakistan and Akram, Wakar Yunis, they've come specifically to beat you. And they would play the county matches, which would just be warm-up matches, which going back way back to Tom Graveney and uh, Colin Cowdery, all the great players of the era, that would be such a game to play against the tourists, a very important game. Latter years for the tourists, that's prep. Yeah. You just prep it up. Whereas we were playing county cricket, Angus Fraser, Darren Goff, Dominic Court would be coming to England just having bowled 45, 50 overs, they're knackered. Yeah. You know, ready to play a test match. So, so we were looking to about, change I that. I think what you're talking about, and I guess Australia might have been ahead of us in this, Big is the time. idea of central contracts. Yeah, we, we were looking and, and at getting central Getting some control contracts. over the players, yeah. and of course having some backup for them. Yeah. Physios, and all the yeah. other things they need. Yeah. Uh, you definitely need your backroom staff, and there's a, a balancing act there as to how many you need. Lord McLaren, Ian McLaren... Uh, was in as the chairman of the board and, you know, he got great vision. We didn't have the money. And then when the big deals came along, and particularly from from TV, uh, that's when everything sort of triggered into place. And um, Duncan Fletcher, a wonderful coach, came into the job and Nasser became his first lieutenant. Um, and that was a good partnership. And then you move on to Andy Flower and Andrew Strauss, Michael Vaughan, sensational as a captain for England, you know, instinct, vision. And so the, the, the ball started rolling in the, the year 2000, I would say, central contracts. And, yeah, we've had a tough time recently. We have had a tough time recently. Mm-hmm. But I, I've no doubt that we will come again. Um, talk to me uh, about the actual results you attained. You won series against India, New Zealand, South Africa. You, perhaps more predictably, lost uh, two Ashes series and a series against the West Indies. Yeah, the, the disappointing one there would be to lose that series in the West Indies. We lost that three-one. Now, you know, I'd look back at that, and you know, like every other manager in any sport would say, we should have won that series. Australia were light years better than us. Yeah, but we were taking the odd game off them. There's a wonderful game at Melbourne when Dean Headley bowled for about four hours. That was a great spell. Uh, he's probably ma- still dining out on that. I hope Di- Dean is still dining out on that spell. Well, he's a fabulous bowler and a tragedy when a, a lad like that goes out of the game with a broken back. He, he was seriously good, Dean Headley. But again, we we got Angus Fraser, Andy Caddick, Darren Goff, uh, Dominic Cork. Alan Mullally, you know, a good nucleus of players, but we've got some good opposition. You were coming up against Ambrose and Walsh, Wakar and Wazim, you know, they were seriously good. So we'd win a bit, we'd lose a bit. Uh, we had a great time. Uh, I, you could, I could be confrontational as a coach. Well, um, uh, I, I will, I'll come back to one or two of the contra- confrontations in just a second, David. Um, I want to get a, uh, an insider's view now. Um, on you as the England coach, that's the right word, I think, your your title. Um, a person who uh, took quite a bit of the, the heavy lifting for you, uh, was it both uh, uh, opening batsman, wicketkeeper, captain at various times, I'd like to say, and of course, a uh, former, former um, person who's been on My Sporting Life. Hello, Alex Stewart. Hi, Danny, how are you doing? How really, really good. Um, David is kind of quite modest about about himself when he talks about unusually modest about about this. Tell us about what your experience was as the England coach. Outstanding, to be honest. Very yeah. passionate, ahead of his time. 
um, wanted to do as much as he could to take English cricket forward, had at least one hand tied behind his back because of either lack of finance, lack of backing, lack of foresight from people at the ECB or TCCB as it may have been back then. Um, but he, he was brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed working under him as a player, working alongside him, captain coach, um, and continue to enjoy seeing him, whether it's in the media centre or whatever. Um, but he was a real breath of fresh air after what had been a pretty tough time in the England setup. Um, and then, as they Bumble came in and took it to another level. Well, I think we, we tried to shake it up a bit and I had two captains, Alec was one, Michael Allerton was the other and I chuckle when I watch it now. If, if I'd have gone to Alec Stewart or Michael Allerton and said, do this, do that, they'd have told me exactly where to go. I'm a bit old school, <laughs> that we would prepare the team and we'd do the mm-hmm. practice and so on. We might do strengths and weaknesses of the opposition and have a team meeting. And we're talking about VHS now. We're not talking about laptops and iPads. You've got to look at a VHS. Now, where's Sachin Tendulkar on here? Let me get, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Stay with me, boy. Stay with me. I'll come to it. Um, But once that preparation had done, the team's the captains. That's it. And he's tactical. He's doing everything and he's looking after his team. So... You, you, does that balance that we've talked about that you get specialist people in Alan Knott was good for us Bob Cotton was good for us Jeff Arnold, lads sages if you like who've mm-hmm. done it all and you're th- there to assist but when when Saturday comes as somebody once said it's the captain and that was a good thing wasn't it I mean everyone sort of knew where the where the goalposts were what lines you couldn't couldn't cross and to be honest Danny it, it, it's how it should be as well now right. you know we have I'm all for as much support staff as possible so, mm. no, so long as everyone knows what their job is when to talk when not to but every team in cricket it needs to needs to be led by the captain as I was allowed to while working with Bumble and I just, just, I don't want to put words into your mouth, Alec, but I'm going to ask you a question. So far as obviously in the last 10, 15 years, we've heard David um, in his role as a broadcaster, where of course he's a tremendously funny bloke. Is he? Um, yes, I find. Him, I, 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 I certainly, I certainly find him amusing. Um, and I think a combination of that and the fact that England's team under David won some and lost some, to use his uh, exact uh, words, um, I think that his time as England coach is underrated. What he actually achieved. And that was a part of it. It was frustrating as well, and I think Bumble will agree with me there. You know, we were captain and coach for the World Cup 99 in England. You know, when it's your home World Cup, you want to give yourself the best chance of being successful. Um, And we planned these things out. As I say, Bumble and myself had sat down where we wanted to train and practice. We wanted to train and practice at Leicester. They were the best net facilities at the time, yet we ended up down at Canterbury. Uh, we wanted certain players in the squad that we felt would bowl and perform well in English conditions. We weren't allowed that. So there was a lot of frustration. Um, and therefore, we, we we both finished, actually, me as captain, Bumble as coach, um, in a, under a bit of a dark cloud because it was after the early exit of that 99 World Cup. But it, things shouldn't be underestimated, what, what that era did um, for the future. Um, just hearing you talking, as I just... Um, tuned in there about Duncan Fletcher and Nasser Hussain taking it forward and I fully agree they did but a lot of what Bumble had set up or had asked for um, which he wasn't able to get was then put in place in 2000 and beyond Listen Alec thank you very much indeed for that uh, absolutely spot on I think uh, summation of the 
time that uh, David Lloyd was uh, England coach. Thank you very much to Alex Stewart there. Um, but I suppose I'll end this section by asking you how, you know, with the, with the time and time for the dust to settle, how do you look back on your time as the England coach? Oh, t- uh, tremendously privileged to be asked to do the job. Uh, yes, frustrations. And, you know, the, that dressing room and the boardroom is politics. You know, there's a lot of politics in it, which doesn't really come out. And I know exactly what Alex Stewart is saying there, exactly, um, and the people involved. But, you know, I'm not going to go into that because it doesn't detract than that I, I had a go at the job. I had a fantastic group of lads, absolutely brilliant. Not an ounce of trouble with any of them. You get a flashpoint, of course you do, um, in any walk of life, in, in any team, but... I'd do it all again, absolutely, with spades. Dave, we talked about your time as England uh, manager coming to an end there, and what's occupied your time, and you're even more central to cricket these days in many ways, is um, I I couldn't really say I could judge your cricket credentials because I'm not a professional cricketer. Somebody who's made his living, shall we say, out broadcasting over the uh, the past uh, 25 years. Let me say that I think you're, you, you've become one of the great broadcasters of sport in this country. You certainly have the awards and the, the public love you. But talk to me about, did you realise that something you really wanted to do? How did it come about that you became Sky's cricket commentator or a commentator on Sky? Well, just to go further back than that, I yeah. worked for BBC on Test Match Special. Uh, Peter Baxter was the producer there. and he, he Legend. Said, uh, yeah, absolutely. He, and he invited me to do a one-day final game, which I did. And it was Lanks v Sussex. So I'm the Lancashire voice. John Barkley, actually, was the Sussex voice. Uh, so I've, I've done my bit and... I then got invited to join the Test Match Special team as a summariser. Right. And so the summarisers at the time were Fred, F.S. Truman, mm-hmm. Trevor Bailey, and one or two other guys. And, and I, I thought, no, I don't think so. And then he said, think again. He said, this is what I... Just think again. And I went along, and, he, and I asked him, Peter Baxter, I said, why? He said, the, the, the voice fits. You've got a very distinctive voice it, for a start, it is, apparently, yeah. 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 Um, and so... It was a natural progression to work into TV, satellite television, uh, from 1991, was it? 1991, I think, um, with with a company called British Satellite Broadcasting, whoever they were. Mm-hmm. And they were the Square Eel. Yeah, BSB, yeah. yeah. But, uh, right? And then they got biffed. And and well, it was Sky. Sky, Sky kind of gathered them up, didn't gathered they? Gathered them in the up, way I they think do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so on and off, I've been with Sky ever since. And I've got to tell you, I love it. I love cricket for a start. Yes. Um, I've got the best seat in the house. The the company, I can say, are terrific. A lot of young blokes, young fellas who are pushing it forward like mad. And so, you know, it's a nice place to be. I work with some very opinionated people, which is important. The other thing, and and you, you will fully understand this, We've got editorial. Sometimes the producer will throw his headphones down and no, but we've got some editorial. Um, There are other broadcasters who were scripted, Mm -hmm. uh, and I I could never do that. I ain't doing that. 
Okay, well, let, 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 I'll come back to you and how much you enjoy it and what you've brought to the the, uh, the coverage. And let's get a, a professional view of exactly what it is that you are doing. Brian Henderson. Hey. Um, oh, oh, I must give him... Oh, he's, he's, your, uh, he's uh, the you, boss. To you, he's the boss. To me, he's, <laughs> the, Hi, exec- he's the executive producer of cricket <laughs> at Sky Sports. Hello there, Brian. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? Hello, Bumble. Very, very good indeed. Can I have a rise? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and proper order. Well done, Brian. Um, yeah, we're, we're, I'm, I'm trying to get, get out of him, but of course it, it's a waste of time trying to get people to tell you what they do themselves. They don't, they don't want to let daylight in on magic. You tell me what you think that David does for Sky that's so important and which has made him so loved and respected. Yeah, well, I don't know where to start, really. The guy is a genius behind the microphone. Um, what I often tell people is about getting balanced. But the difference between shade and light and Bumble is the absolute genius at that. When the cricket's maybe drifting along a little bit and it's not great, then he regales us with all these stories and entertains. And we are in the entertainment business. You know, people want to be entertained. They want to enjoy listening. And I think what's made us successful is that um, they genuinely believe that, A, we're telling the truth and we're also having a bit of fun, fun as well. But, you know, whilst Bumble's got this reputation as a character and fun, mm-hmm. you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be forgotten that he is bang on the money cricket-wise, um, both in terms of editorial, in terms of what's going on and talking about the correct issues, but also in the delivery of key commentary lines. And, and some of his, you know, short, short, concise delivery lead commentary, which I cannot begin to tell you how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a genius at it. We, we've got a line in tomorrow's opener for the... Um, for the test match, and, you know, Bull, Jimmy Anderson, first up, what a nut! And it's just one of those, you know, iconic lines from, from the Ashes a few years ago, and it's so hard to deliver, and Bumble does that brilliantly. Well, Brian, so, uh, I'm glad you said that, Brian, forget. because it's, it's too easy, um, because, you know, when he's chasing around after mascots and starting the car and all the rest, <laughs> it's, no, it's too, easy to, it's too easy to have him down as the village idiot among a load of public yeah. schoolboy commentators. It's not like that, yeah. though, is it? No, not at all. I mean, um, you know, again, it's shade and light. You know, he, he gives us fun and entertainment at the right time, but he's bang on the money at other times. So, you know, don't forget, Danny, he's 74 or 75 years old now. So, Nearly I mean, 90, you know, I understand, yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you know. he, the, he gets it all the time. He's the boss, a fantastic bloke as well. I tell you, these are young guys pushing it forward. But think of all <laughs> these opinionated blokes. And they keep telling him, he said... He, that pensioner, me, he should only do Saturdays. <laughs> oh. Like Richie. Like yeah. Richie in Channel 9. That's yeah. it, yeah. Well, listen, uh, Brian, thank you very much. We just needed someone to provide proof if proof were needed of the importance of this man uh, to your operation. Thanks for joining us. His it, pleasure. He's a genius. He's the number one guy. So um, I'm going to get a rise. You're here, not. You're tell. not. I can tell you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You're getting another year. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye. Uh, great to hear from Brian Henderson there from Sky. Um, and the thing is, David, you, you know, we're laughing about, about your age. Of course, you're a very fit man, but just looking at you there. But also, you've taken to all the technical innovations that Sky, to give them their credit, have brought to cricket over the past uh, 15 years or so. Um, there's no, there's absolutely none. You, what you've avoided is that is that trap that sometimes uh, more senior commentators fall into of it wasn't like that in my day. Oh, you can never do that. I mean, that is an absolute no-no. And I mentioned young blokes, and, you know, I don't mind talking about who I work for. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lad called Barney Francis, who's like head of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, my previous boss was Paul King. We just heard from Brian Henderson. All three of them have said to us, and it's right up your street, Danny, this, take risks. Take risks. Don't just let it go. It's always been like that. Take a risk. And I think 
that that is terrific for a broadcaster because you're live, you can't take your words back. And there are times when you think, no, that's wrong. I've done that wrong. And you've just got to let it go. But luckily, you get another, uh, unlike often, if you make a mistake in another form of, of work, um, you don't get a chance immediately to retrieve it, whereas you can in broadcasting. You you make a mistake or you do say something you're not so very proud of, there's another piece of air coming down the line for you to fill with something better. Uh, to tell all the listeners that you, you do get them times when you think, that's not come out right. I didn't actually mean that. And, and it gets lost in the ether somewhere, but you come back again and you've got to switch on as to what's coming next. Let me ask you a question about cricketers, test cricketers, because that's what you tend to be dealing with, David. Um, one of the great things about being a an insider like yourself was that I know you get to talk to the players and what, understand what's going on. Even rows like the KP thing, which is a mystery still to all those out in the public. Yeah. But I think a cricket is just getting to the stage now where it'll go like football, where you won't be able to walk up to them as easily as you hope and catch them in the car park and all the rest of it because they're starting to earn a lot of money and become, particularly with the IPL and stuff, becoming big stars. Will they? Will they? Are they drifting? Will they do what footballers do? Will they drift away from the public? That that is a fantastic question, and I I know exactly what you mean. We have difficulty at times talking to a player, and it's media monitored. Well, that's fine. People doing the job. What they must understand. It's only a game of cricket, as we're talking now. That's all it is. It's just a game of cricket. It's an opportunity for a player to project himself. And when an individual says, I'm not talking to X, Y or Z, they're totally missing the point. You're talking to the public. That's who you're talking to. You ain't talking to Danny Kelly. You ain't talking to David Lloyd. You're talking to the public. Get it. And where, um, when I look at the IPL now and the Australian um, big, bash. big Bash, I see uh, t- more technical innovation. I see, I love the light-up bales when they come off in Australia. They're, sorry, that, that's the child in me. I just love that. Um, where are we going? I mean, you, you've been involved with them in cricket when it's changed extraordinary. If you think about the county game that you joined and then think about players flying in on private jets to play six weeks here, two weeks there. Where are we going with cricket as far as you can see, David? Well, I think we're definitely going down the 2020 route and the razzmatazz of the IPL, which I think is a great concept. I'm very concerned about the corruption in the game. I can get that off my chest now. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, I'm very concerned about the corruption in sport in general. And that would all come about through individual greed. And we need to get back to the sport itself because all these people. Well, people need in to your understand. part of the world used to say, "Where there's muck, there's brass." I think you can now say, "Where there's brass, there's muck." There's, it works the other way now in sport, doesn't That's it? That's exactly what's happening. What they understand, what they need to understand, all these people, uh, the ones who are playing the game and administering the game, whatever sport, you are just the custodians at this moment. There's plenty being before you, and there's plenty going to go after you. You've got to make sure that that sport is clean. I think the 50-over game, the 40-over game, I know this is not an original view. I think it really is genuinely under threat from 2020. Looking down the line, though, will Test cricket be the attraction it is in 10 or 15 years? Well, I, th- I think that it's sacrosanct 
Test match cricket. I think that all players understand, whether young players or old players, that you're judged as a test match cricketer. There's nobody judging you as a T20 player. It's a hoot, it's great fun, it's entertainment with cricket equipment. And so I'd like to think that test match cricket is is absolutely rock solid. I'm with you. I think the 50-over game is quite vulnerable. Because it can be dull. Let's be honest about it. Tell the truth. You and I, and anybody else listening, anybody who likes cricket, can predict and tell you exactly what's going to happen in the next 50-over game. 2020 is a bit more, you don't really know, there's something really special going to happen. But what we're saying is that 50-over game looks as if it's formulated and we need to get away from that. And I totally understand what you're saying about not being judged by 2020, but once you see people like Aaron Finch getting into the Australian Test team from the 2020 team, Uh then maybe things are changing in in, in ways that I've yet to know how they might work out. You're listening to, well, the the umpire is uh, walking towards the bales now, I'm afraid to Uh say, here on My Sporting Life, where my guest today is the fantastic David Lloyd. My Sporting Life on Talk Sport. Yeah, this is my sporting life here on Talk Sport. Tonight's guest that you've been hearing is, well, the fantastic David Lloyd. David, just a, a couple of minutes left to go now. Um, I should ask you about where you are. We've heard about your professional career. Where are you in your life? And do you still have a, well, these days it's called a bucket list, but I used to, I think it used to be just called ambitions. Uh, well, I want to ride a horse. Uh, that's one thing that I'd like to do. I've taken my motorbike test, so I've got a nice motorbike. Not ridden it for what a What size while. of the engine? It's an 800. Oh, uh, is it now? It goes like the clappers. Um, but I've, I've had to loan it to my son-in-law, Enti. He's got it now because I've had a new knee. I've got a replacement knee. It's metal. And I don't just trust it on my foot brake at the minute. So, but very handy going around the corners. There. You could you could scrape on the metal knee without <laughs> got, any padding. It'd be ideal. Got knee down. Get yeah, a knee yeah. down. No, I'm, I'm very conservative when I'm on my bike. Uh, but I've given it to Enti now. Um, a horse. Uh, I want to ride a horse. I've always wanted to ride a horse. Fast. Right. I don't want it jumping anything. No. Um, but I don't think I'm going to get that. Other than that... Well, uh, do you know any horse race trainers? Yeah, I know lots. Well, why... Yeah. I've not plucked up courage yet, but it's I'm there. I'm going to get Mickey Quinn to set this up for you I've, here at Talk Sport. I've got... Um, I've, I've not been as fit as I am now because I've got... I'm coming back from this uh, knee replacement. So, um, my youngest lad is a personal trainer. He's got a, a nice little on his own, get fit mobile. So he looks after me and I keep saying, are you after your inheritance? He absolutely kills me. Well, if hang on, yeah, I was going to say, if he was after your inheritance, he'd let you get fatter and fatter, wouldn't no, he? No, well, he's gone the other way. He <laughs> yeah. tries to put me lights out. So, uh, I mean, a good place, very simple, love a game of golf, love fishing. Um, and I spend a lot of time in North Yorkshire, would you believe? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well... That's for the the fishing, is it? Or well, a bit of fishing, a bit of horse racing. Okay. Um, my wife is from York, ah. um, so you know they tend to think that they're wearing the trousers. Oh, so, so you're in a mixed marriage. Okay. Well, I understand yeah. that now. That's, yeah. that's all very, very different. Listen, so we're okay. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you for the last two hours, and I mean that most sincerely. Thank you very, very much indeed. Regrettably for me, and I hope for you as well, that though is the end of this evening's edition of My Sporting Life. Our thanks to both Danny Kelly and David Lloyd for the last 90 minutes or so. Brilliant stuff. Don't forget, we'll be releasing weekly episodes of My Sporting Life, uh, well, the cricket ones, um, with some big names such as uh, Matthew Hayden and uh, Sir Richard Hadley. 
that's all still to come here. And as well as all this, don't forget the Cricket Collective returning next week. Neil Manthorpe and Steve Harmison building up to the start of the T20 World Cup. Thanks for listening to Following On. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelize Bimbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. At TalkSport, we absolutely love it when our fans get stuck in. That's why we want you to join us in The Dugout, a brilliant new TalkSport listener community. It's the place where you can tell us what sports you're into and who your favourite teams are. And tell us what you think we could do better, like big guests and new sports and that. You could win an Amazon voucher for taking part. What are you waiting for? Visit TalkSport.com slash dugout and get stuck in. 18 plus, terms and conditions apply.